1: So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much
2: Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm the Frederick P. Rose Director of the Hayden Planetarium, right here in New York City. And tonight's topic: science and religion. Ooh. <laughs> I've got with me my. Intrepid co-host, Eugene Merman. Eugene.
3: Great. My comedic co-host.
2: Yeah? Excellent. And uh, we're featuring today my interview with the renowned evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins. He's like primary atheist of the world. And so if you're gonna talk about science and religion, you got you need people like that to find out where are they thinking, where are they taking us, what's it all about. But we couldn't just feature Richard Dawkins. We need some other views here, and so we combed the landscape, and we found a Jesuit priest. This is the academic order of the Catholic Church, and we have with us Father Martin. Welcome to Star Talk. Thank you very much. All right.
4: You have a business degree, apparently. Is that correct? Did I overhear I that? I do. Uh, I went to the Wharton School of Business before I entered the Jesuits. so... Well, we see priests. We just don't think of priests as doing all this other stuff, but... You did. I did, and, and most of us do. Most of us uh, enter the priesthood with a little life experience, thank God. Okay, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, he can say thank God. That's cool, right? <laughs> And the rest of us say, should we really
2: do that? But you have the authority to do so.
4: Uh, feel free to say thank God as much as you want.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, uh, well, there'll be more of that coming for sure. Uh, just, uh, I just wanted to give a shout-out to the Jesuits. Uh, they're often portrayed as those who prosecuted Galileo attacking his observations of the known universe that came to Galileo through his observations of the telescope. But I also know the Jesuits as an important scientific arm of the Catholic Church. And in fact, there were tremendous uh, advances that the Jesuits contributed to to the measurement of the universe leading up to the Gregorian calendar, which was an improvement over the Julian calendar at the time. And it's the one we use today. So congratulations to your ancestral brethren on that. I, I
4: take that uh, credit and thank you for it. Yeah. <laughs> I hate the Julian calendar, <laughs> <laughs> so
2: thank you very
4: much. Right. <laughs> so I don't, I, just in case people
2: didn't know, up until 1582, the Julian calendar was used worldwide. Uh, in, well, in the West, it was used. And the Julian calendar, advanced by Julius Caesar, was... It was a really good calendar, but it didn't quite get it right. No Wednesdays? (laughs) So what happens is, I don't know if you knew, but the total number of days does not go evenly into the duration of an Earth year. In fact, if you clocked it, you get an extra quarter of a day. Now, how do you make a calendar out of that? You can't have a quarter of a day in the calendar. So what people did was ignore that quarter of a day for four years. And in the fourth year, you have four quarters, you add up, throw in a day. The leap day was born in the Julian calendar, February 29th. And so that's cool. And that kept things matched up for a long while. But it turned out that the leap day overcorrected by a little bit. But the Romans didn't know this. And that overcorrection started accumulating days in the calendar. And what they noticed in the Catholic Church was that the first day of spring, which was previously March 21st, was drifting in the calendar. And it was becoming later and later. And so, what do you do about this? You kill
3: Julius Caesar.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. right. Problem solved. (laughs) (laughs) So the calendar was accumulating days that didn't belong there. And Pope Gregory says, I have to solve this problem. Brings in Jesuit priests. Now, correct me if I get any of this wrong. I think I'm on this. Uh, you know I, much more
4: about this than I, I do. I think I got yes, this one. yeah, you do.
2: So, founds the Vatican Observatory. In so doing, the Jesuits figure out there are ten too many days in the calendar. That's how many days had accumulated. So, in 1582, the Pope said, let's take, take ten days out of the calendar. February 15th followed February 4th in 1582 which makes, makes it complicated when you're paying rent. So now, now that you've jump-started it, you want to make sure that error doesn't happen again. What it means is a leap day every four years overcorrects the problem. So every now and then you got to take out a leap day. When do you do that? It turns out every century is the time you take away a leap day that might have otherwise been there. Every century would normally be a leap year because it's divisible by four, a century year. You take it out. The year 1900 was not a leap year. The year 1800 was not a leap year. The year 1700 was not a leap year. However, by doing that, you have now undercorrected it by a little bit. (laughs) Now, you're missing a day over an interval of time. you got to put something back in. So every 400 years, you put the leap day back in. (laughs) So so the year 2000 was one of those 400-year cycles. And most people, February 29th, 2000, said, it's just an ordinary leap day, but it was so not, right? <laughs> in fact, the last, the last time a century year had a leap day was the year 1600, just a few years after the Gregorian calendar was put into place. So this overcorrect, undercorrect, overcorrect, undercorrect will now keep the calendar in top tip-top shape for millennia to come. And this is one of the many reasons why this calendar is used worldwide. It's one of the most accurate calendars ever devised. Congratulations to your peeps. Well,
4: yeah. <laughs> on, on, behalf,
2: on behalf of the Jesuit order, you're welcome. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so as we know, Richard Dawkins is very outspoken about sort of religiosity in the world and atheism. And he, he wants to convince people to think logically, perhaps on the assumption that if you do, then you won't think religiously, perhaps. Sure. I, I don't know if it's that easy. And... Uh, when he dropped by my office, I, I snared an interview with him for a Star Talk. Uh, the first thing we discussed was the capacity of the human mind to think logically. If there's any one subject that the most number of people say I was never good at, insert a topic, it's going to be math. And so I say to myself, if our brain were wired for logical thinking, then math would be everyone's easiest subject, and everything else would be harder. So I, I'm kind of forced to conclude that.
5: Our brain is not wired for logic. Many, many people are extremely illogical, but... Um, and they, by uh, the way, they get along just fine in life. But I think it's an interesting point that our, that our wild ancestors, needing to survive in the, in the presence of lions and drought and famine and things, you'd think logic would be pretty important for survival, wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> you? So... If, if not mathematics, at least well, well, it could be maybe early
2: people who said, "Oh, there's a creature there with big teeth. Let me investigate it further." <laughs> yes, that's right.
5: yes, I mean in a way that's right. The, uh, sir, being too scientific uh, is a, is a bad thing. Uh, curiosity yeah. doesn't always yeah. work. Um, my uh, I, I had a cousin as who was a, a little boy um, put his finger in the in the mains and got a shock. So he did it again, just to make sure. <laughs> he is a real scientist, <laughs> but not very good for survival. Yeah. So we
2: wonder: is is logic good for a survival or not? Is there any occasion where thinking illogically illogically is ever a good thing? So let me ask you: the Pope, he's a Jesuit. He is. Is he the first Jesuit Pope? He is. Well, congratulations. Okay. okay. Yeah. And yeah. is it right? I was reading this. I said. He has
4: a degree in chemistry. He does. He has a degree in chemistry and taught chemistry, I think. Uh, for and and taught years. chemistry, and then uh, this can't be right. Did he worked as, as a as a nightclub bouncer at a tango bar?
2: At a tango bar <laughs> <laughs> before becoming pope?
3: Yes, well we would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> he is no longer currently a bouncer <laughs> at a tango bar. <laughs>
4: so, okay. He needs a little pin money from time yeah, to I time. Yeah, I
2: know. Right, right. So presumably he would be counted among the ranks of people who can think logically, because so many people think illogically all the time, and as I. Hinted there, they get along just fine in life, it seems. So I wanted to bring that up with Richard Dawkins as well. And I did. Let's see where he takes it. I detach myself more from that battle than you do. you're you are on the front lines, and I'm way in the back line watching you do this. and And I'm saying sometimes people just want to
5: feel rather than think. yes, and i'm I keep pushing back to the evolutionary origins of this and and when you have to survive in a in a hostile environment it may be that you do need a certain amount of illogical uh gut f- yes it may be that you need to fear things which logic tells you but well, maybe it's a matter of the of the odds that that, that something is actually dangerous or um, well, the cost to you the, if it the is. cost to you if if you see if you see a sort of rustling in the trees, um, it, it could be a, a leopard about to jump on you, but it's much more likely to, to be the wind. And, and the, the, the logical, rational explanation is probably it's the wind. But when your survival depends upon the, the remote possibility, well, not rather, the, the rather lower pr- probability that it might be a leopard, the prudent thing is to be uh, more risk averse than 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 a yeah, justify. Will, yes exactly
2: <laughs> and so do you think religion in general is something that emerges from rational thought or from from non-rational thought?
4: I think both. Uh, I think religion uh, is based on people's experience of God, um, and religion is a way of relating to God and relating to one another and and through that uh, to God. But, you know, reason and faith uh, are not inconsistent. Logic and faith are not inconsistent. But there are some times that you think illogically. When uh, Professor Dawkins was talking, I was thinking about, like, falling in love. You might say, I've, I've fallen in love with this person. I want to marry this person. And you say, well, you know, logically that doesn't stack up. Well, you know, in a sense, it's, it's the heart that takes over in, in some cases. Okay, so, but what you're saying then is, when it's not logic, it's heart or it's spirituality.
2: And so, in that case, you're going to say they're compatible or they're two completely different
4: things the way Stephen Jay Gould did? Yeah, non-overlapping
2: say, magisteria.
4: I would say boxes. that they could combine. So there could be some logical reasons why you would uh, want to get married to some somebody, and there could be some illogical heart reasons. So I don't see them as inconsistent at all. Okay, so how does one then be, get degrees in science and then become religious,
2: or is always religious? What is going on in their head? Do they have special special experiences with a God that Richard Dawkins hasn't had? And all he needs is a couple of those experiences,
4: and he'd convert like this? I don't know. It depends on him. I think a lot of times experiences of God are are the foundational uh, ways that people have to start believing. But, you know, for example, for a Jesuit like Pope Francis, uh, who starts with faith, uh, he's naturally interested in the natural world. He wants to know more about God's creation. And so why not study chemistry? So once again, not inconsistent as far as I see it. Can we think of this as a transformative time for the Catholic Church? I think so, but I think uh, in terms of science, I think we need to see it as kind of a, a progression. I mean, we've been kind of building on these things. And, and once again, I think one of the reasons that people are listening to Pope Francis is because, in a sense, they like him more uh, and they're He's the more open. fun
3: pope. Well, right. <laughs> He's into the
4: Rolling Stones.
3: He gets it.
4: Uh, so Richard Dawkins
2: feels that religion may sh- maybe should have a lesser place in our international politics and culture. More on that when we come back to Star Talk. Star Talk at the Rose Center for Earth and Space, the Hall of the Universe. Eugene Merman. Hello. My comedic co-host, Father Martin. Thanks for being here. Pleasure. Please
3: call him Jim.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you, Father. <laughs> we uh, we're featuring my interview with Richard Dawkins, yep. who's sort of a patron saint of atheists. If I if, can I say that <laughs>
3: <laughs> to us, you can.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and so he's we're talking about big stuff. We're talking about science. We're talking about religion, uh, how they've intersected or how they don't. Uh, as a Jesuit priest you You represent one of the academic orders of the Catholic Church, so of course you were going to say that there's no conflict between science I say of course, only because you have you have to live that intersection. so do you think others who don 't think and feel this we're just missing something here is it, do we have to have some religious experience in order to think the same way
4: as you do that's a good question I, I think religious experience is a kind i do 't even problem. know what that is actually i well, mean i 'm saying it because other people have said it, but yeah. Uh, Nice. I've had
2: deeply, what I felt were deeply spiritual experiences, but I was not invoking deity to account for them. I'd be on a mountaintop, there'd be starlight, I'm alone, there's clouds below me, mm-hmm. uh, enshrouding cities. Mm-hmm.
3: You're at, describing Zeus's experience. <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember throwing lightning at a kid.
2: But then what happened? What did you feel? No, I felt connected to the cosmos. But I didn't, at the time, invoke deity. Sure. I, I was, it, was a, it was a very private, personal sure. moment. And nothing supernatural happened,
4: sure. but I felt very deeply, and I would call that a spiritual experience. I would, too. And, and if you came to me for spiritual direction, probably one of the things I would say would be to invite you to consider if that's one way that God has of reaching out to you and speaking to you and touching you.
2: Okay, but there are plenty of people who say God is speaking to them, and they go out and kill people. Right. Right. But so, so most people do not. <laughs> that's a good thing that and, most do not, but yeah. most don't have to do not if only
4: some do. But the question right. is, if you're—, if is that, you're is
3: a are, you, are you the Riddler? <laughs> <laughs> I don't
4: even know but if that if, was a sentence, but, but, it, if, it was, but, if you, but his meaning was completely clear. Can you at least consider the possibility that this is one way for you, a scientist, you know, to have this experience, that God is kind of meeting you where you are and trying to invite you into a relationship with God?
2: Yeah, so I don't. I'm open to anything, mm-hmm. uh, but when you start saying, "Here's the rest of the package of belief mm-hmm. system that needs to go with it," otherwise you're not a devout Catholic or a devout Protestant or devout, Then that that complicates it. It sure me. does.
4: But you don't take a person there. It's like it's like starting to teach someone, you know, science. You don't start with, you know, the Higgs boson particle. You know, you start with sort of basic elements and you take them there when you're ready. And also, God is beginning this conversation, so you respect that. You don't take them to where they're not ready to go or where they're not called to go right now. So the people who are.
3: So you don't need all the rules, like all the stuff. No. Well, the
4: rules are important. And don't I mean, tell me you don't have rules. You
3: got rules. And so
4: does the scientific community. Yeah, yeah, yeah
3: but that's, you know. sorry. Well,
2: no, no. but my rules, I, I can break my <laughs> rules if the act of breaking the rules brings me closer to the operations of nature. And can you break your rules?
0: Absolutely. You if can. It, what's, if it brings what's the last you rule you
4: broke? Hmm. Is this confession? <laughs> or you yeah. be, <laughs> Wait, so,
2: you, so you can okay. covet a neighbor's wife. <laughs> Wait, wait, so if the people who have private beliefs, but then they become a professional scientist, at some point there's a
4: line in the sand there. Well, there may be, but I mean, I know so many Catholic scientists that that are happy as Catholic scientists, or Christian scientists more broadly, mm-hmm. and they find it, you know, a way of trying to understand the universe and a way of trying to understand God's creation. And I, I, once again, I don't see it as inconsistent.
2: So uh, Richard Dawkins has thought about this. Can, right. can they merge? Should they merge? Is that impossible? I've thought a lot about it as well at some of this is being devil's advocate. Can, can sure. I say that? Sure. Feel free. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Does that make me the devil
5: or Not the advocate of the Not devil?
2: Right. okay. Uh, let's go to my next clip with Richard Dawkins in my office of the Hayden Planetarium.
5: Imagine that you were going to consult a doctor, uh, and I, I, I make him an eye doctor, but you happen to know that he privately doesn't believe in the sex theory of reproduction. He believes that babies come from storks. Okay. Um,
3: I'm, I guessing, go to that I'm
5: guessing you would not go to that doctor, yeah, but, but I've met plenty of people, especially in, in America, who say it's none of your business what he believes below the waist. Um, uh-huh. uh, he's an eye doctor. Is he a competent? Can he, can he repair your cataracts? Uh, um, and and I, I don't think he should be employed in a hospital um, because, because what you're saying about that man is that he, he's got the kind of mind which is so adrift from reality that even if he's a competent eye surgeon, um, I don't think he, should, he could be trusted. And yes. that's a fear
2: factor that creates a fear factor that overrides everything else. He's a good eye surgeon. He or she is a good eye surgeon. Right. But there's that lingering risk that the Stork theory of reproduction might somehow affect the scalpel.
0: I don't. So think it you needs, I'm not sure risk. it
5: needs to, to affect the scalpel. I th- I think it's something. Okay. So to then, do with then you object on principle. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Not yes. on practice. It's, yes. it's a principle or thing. Or the professor of geography who believes in the flat earth, but but but. But otherwise, makes teaches, perfect globes. Yes. Yes. yes <laughs>
4: quite. Yes. Exactly. Where do you take that? Well, I would say it's a kind of strange presupposition uh, to say that there would be an eye doctor who believes in the stork, because basically there aren't eye doctors who believe in the stork. No, no, but I mean, he made it a very blunt example, but, mm-hmm. but
2: yeah. uh, he's talking about people who might be evolutionary biologists by day, but are certain that the whole earth got here 6,000 years ago by night, but then
4: how could they be evolutionary biologists?
2: Well, this is the po- this right. is the it whole is, point he's making. The,
4: but that's why I think it's kind of a false presupposition. I mean because you you can't be one and the other. But there are such people. I have met them. And they are. So they've drawn a line. You don't think such a line can or should exist then. No, I don't think you need to draw a line like that. I mean, I you know, there's a great definition of theology, which is faith seeking understanding. And so the person starts with faith and says there are certain things that I can understand and, and science can help us understand that. There's two different ways of understanding things through scientific uh, reason and through revelation, you know, what, what religion teaches us. I think they're basically coming together, you know, and the more we learn about the world, I think the more mysterious it becomes in a sense.
2: Is there some example you can give? Yeah, where well, aren't,
4: aren't there and, and you would know better than I do. Aren't there uh, ex- examples in physics where they say, "Well, actually, this this particle is at one place and another place yeah, at the yeah. same time"? Which you kind of take on faith, faith No, like, we measure
2: right? that. We measure. We don't need with a but,
3: space ruler. But does
4: that not seem? Does that not seem to the human brain that one would be in one place at one place and another? It's
3: completely.
2: It it boggles the mind. It don't, and it is right. it is mysterious.
4: Well, there it's you a go. It's a quantum mystery. Exactly. That and doesn't mean it's divine. But it's something. It is a mystery that you believe in, and so that, in a sense, is what religion is, right? Ooh,
3: I like that—a mystery you believe in. I mean, when,
4: when we come
2: back, let's find out if illogical thinking it should be a natural part of our society, or maybe we should do something about it. When Startalk returns
0: We're back.
2: It's Star Talk. And I'm with my co host, Eugene Merman. Eugene tweeting at Eugene Merman. Yeah, I am. yeah. Yeah. And I have a living, breathing Jesuit priest in our midst here, uh, <laughs> Fa- Father James Martin. Uh, and you also tweet. I do. At uh, James Martin SJ. Exactly. Society of Jesuits. Awesome. The tweeting priest. <laughs> well, i follow you. I'm going to see what, you, what great you've been musical. about. It's <laughs> musical, The <laughs> tweeting priest. <laughs> pretty good. We've been featuring my interview with Richard Dawkins, who's like I think of him as the patron saint of atheists and uh, he's just fun to listen to and he's 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 but we've got some other views here and I just wanted to sort of tease that out the Jesuits are the academic order of the of the Catholic Church, so getting back to this point where there are scientific frontiers that are mysterious they're even science that's not a frontier that's mysterious like some of the phenomenon of quantum physics but why must the mysterious require that there is a
4: deity who's overseeing it well I mean- in your mind it sounds like they must go together Well, I think it's not that they must go together, but they do go together. When I look at the universe, and I think of particularly something like the Big Bang, you know, the great question I always ask. The TV show? He's (laughs) clearly talking about the TV show,
3: yeah. How did did something like that come to be? You know, (laughs) know, (laughs) What could have created that?
4: I I always ask questions, which I think is a good question to ask atheists. Um, Why is there something rather than nothing at all? But I, I would say I have no idea. Well, and I'm perfectly go. content in that ignorance. Mm-hmm. I'm not well, we having no to find an answer. Well, and that's a but that's a great example. There are religious people who can be content not understanding God completely and not mm-hmm. understanding the universe completely. And so, you know, if you can be we'll content,
3: creationist. Well,
4: no, no. If <laughs> if if you can be content, seriously, in in not having to understand that. I can be content in not having to understand God. I, I can believe no, no, in a God. Okay. No, I let me just right. I, No, no, I know. I know. But like I'll this. just say this. I can believe in a God who I don't fully understand. And I'm saying it's not that I'm
2: happy not knowing. Mm-hmm. It's that not knowing does not force me to then come up with an explanation I can't justify yet. Yeah. And, I, and I'm going to keep searching. Mm-hmm. And
4: for me, that is a sense of wonder that excites me. And draws me to the frontier. Well, and me too. And it draws me to an under, trying to understand God better. So I think that, that's where I think that the two disciplines are actually closer than one So Richard thing. Dawkins, one of his books, of his many books,
2: uh, highly readable and uh, uh, lucid books, Unweaving the Rainbow, Science, Delusion, and the Appetite for Wonder.
5: I had him just reflect on wonder. Let's find out. Keith thought that Newton was destroying the poetry of the rainbow by explaining the spectrum or completely destroying the mystery of it destroying yeah. the mystery of it and and the the message of my book is that you don't uh, by by destroying the mystery you increase the poetry you don't you don't decrease and
2: it and i try to go there in all of my work whether or not i succeed exactly. that's my intent okay. i think there's no more reproduced image when people want you to think of god than a sunset with beams of light yeah. coming out but i also know that the surface of the sun is 6000 degrees and there's Rayleigh scattering in the atmosphere you have water droplets condensing to make Clouds and exactly. So, where do you differ from this?
5: Maybe uh, I go a little bit further in the direction of good-natured ridicule uh, of absurd ideas like astrology. You're saying it's good-natured,
2: but clearly the people who are who are the on the other side of your wit and intelligence uh, would are they saying you're being good-natured?
5: Possibly not. I don't. <laughs> I don't really care about that. Um, Possibly. Not. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. I mean, I, I feel stupid next to you. No, I, uh, I mean, and I know all this stuff. All right. So. Oh come on. Let me <laughs> um, I, I I have an eye to not just the, the astrologer that I'm talking to, uh-huh. but the, for example, the radio audience or whatever it is that that are that are listening in. Um, if you call somebody an idiot, you're not going to change his mind, but you may change the minds of. a a thousand people listening in.
2: Yeah, so let me ask you something, but just flat out. Sure. Flat out. I don't have a problem if people feel spiritually when they contemplate the cosmos. And I may even feel some of that as well. I'm really talking about, as religion manifests in the world, the whole other portfolio of things you're supposed to do the rituals that derive from it, the rules that come down from revealed text, that's a whole other conversation than telling me that I'm experiencing an open door to God when I'm on a mountaintop.
4: I think those are two different things. I think God and religion- Yeah, but I, I, I no, believe
2: you yeah. that you see those as two different yeah. things,
4: but most people who are vocal and active and politically motivated do not. But why should that keep you from God? I mean, if, if you have an experience of God, why should all the other stuff that, that distracts you keep you from that? I mean, it are like saying, you know, I ran into a—I I took a terrible course in, uh, in science once, and all the teachers were terrible. Well, does that mean you don't believe in science anymore? No, it, it means you don't believe or you haven't had a good experience of the other things, of the human element of it. So well, I, what I might I would ask
2: is, which god are you—is it Zeus that I'm coming closer to? Because I am on the mountaintop where Zeus lived. Mono- Athena Olympid.
3: did come out of his head. <laughs>
2: right? <laughs> so so uh, maybe there's a particular god that you would rather it be than other gods that have come before people of, of the past. But I also know that throughout most of the history of science, some of the greatest scientists have ever lived have been deeply religious themselves. Mm-hmm. More on that when we return for Star Talk. <laughs> We're back here on Star Talk hall of the universe american museum of natural history father james martin jesuit priest we're talking about the relationship between science and religion and uh you as an as a modern catholic have no problem with evolution correct correct i can't say the same about other theologians who walk this earth
4: so what does that mean uh, it means that in the di- world, in politics, in every, in all of this. Sure. Well, it means that different uh, Christians have different viewpoints on that. I'm a, f- I'm, I'm a firm believer in evolution. Uh, there are some people who don't believe it. I'm not sure how you can't be convinced uh, if you see the kind of archaeology and the the sort of uh, the the kind of history of the world. But there they are. So I I can't account for ignorance. So uh,
2: Isaac Newton was uh, being a Brit. He was an Anglican Christian, of course. And some have argued that the problem is not being religious, but what people do with religion in society.
4: Would you, would you agree with that? Of course. That? Yeah, oh. of course. I mean, well, of course. I mean, you say it in, for I'm example. trying to have an argument with you. <laughs> Why are you not letting this happen? Well, well no. I mean, that's... I, mean, I argue that religion but, is never no, but bad. that's self-evident. I mean, because, I know, you know, you okay. see all sorts of religious fanaticism and, mm-hmm. and things like that and, and fundamentalism and people who are kind of, uh, you know, set in their ways. But, you know, all of these scientists that you described are people who saw God's creation and wanted to explore it and understand it, which is a, a good impulse. So none of this, I think, let's say, should be seen as in conflict. Let's see what Richard Dawkins has to say about past scientists and their religiosity.
3: I don't think he's going to like it.
5: Newton, Galileo, pre-D- pre-Darwin. You couldn't not be religious pre- pre-Darwin. At least, I mean, you could, but mm-hmm. you would have to be very, very um, uh, stalwart in your, in your skepticism. Right. Uh, because uh, it's some, I look around the world, it kind of looks almost obvious. This is going to get misquoted. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it looks almost obvious that there had to be a, des- a designer and, until Darwin came along. Um who can blame Newton and Galileo? So I'm I'm deeply unimpressed okay. by anybody by that, argument. In, by that <laughs> argument.
4: Okay. So he's not impressed with religious scientists of the past.
5: Mhm.
4: Well, I just wonder if he's impressed with religious scientists of current day. Oh, okay. Well, I happen to have that there you clip. Go. <laughs> 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 Let's hear what he says about contemporary religious
5: scientists. If you actually ask what they believe, they will Talk about uh, mystery of the universe, and, and and they have a sort of reverent attitude, which I have as well, and I think you have. Um, but then, if you say, do you actually believe in anything supernatural? Uh, you call yourself Christian, but you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin or rose from the dead? Of course, they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you've got to kind of subtract them off. I suspect the, you know, subtract off the Einsteinian. Um, so the Einsteinian spiritual. is that what, Spinoza's God. Where Spinoza's if there's God. a God
2: of the universe, that. That is responsible for laws and things and, and re- responsible for the universe that science observes. But, but, but which is kind of contestable. Yeah, I don't think, been, yeah, yeah, I don't think
5: would it would even be, be responsible. I think it was just God is the universe, which is a bit different from, from thinking that there's an intelligence that, mm-hmm. that, that, um, that started it all. Um, so I think you want to subtract them off. Okay. Einstein unfortunately muddied the issue by using the word God yeah. rather freely. And everybody wants to claim. Claim and people their. therefore want to claim they rather like you're afraid of being of being being claimed. Well, by I just
2: his, want to make my own arguments. Exactly. I don't want to use somebody
5: else's arguments. Einstein used God as a metaphor, and he said things like, "What I really want to know is, did God have a choice in creating the universe?" He simply meant, "Is there only one way for a universe to be?" Or the phrase, "I want to know the mind of God." Yeah. That, yeah yes. Yeah. That's right. Um, so sub- subtract them off, and then. You, you are left with with a few who actually do believe in the virgin birth. Or, and and I, I don't know what to make of that.
2: Okay, so he's he's got his sort of science scientist arithmetic. Of, uh, so that clip led in with uh, pre-established fact that about a third of Western scientists or American scientists would claim themselves to be religious. Mm-hmm. These are active scientists who publish papers. Mm-hmm. And so he's challenging the point that they are as religious as the sort of right... Wing religious community might
4: claim for them. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any of this? In your really. I mean, that's travels. A, I'm not sure if that's anecdotal. I don't know where that, I mean, the, the one-third No, the one-third, we measure that. That's but real. the idea that, well, they don't really believe all this stuff. I just want to say one thing. It, he did say, basically, that Einstein, when he used the word God, didn't know what he was talking about. So it is a strange thing to say that Einstein, you know, was kind of deluded or didn't understand what God was. So I, I think we need to— No, no, but, well, to, but
2: no, if, if you read all of Einstein's references to God, mm-hmm. it's very clear that God was metaphor for the laws of the universe, not in the way anybody else who's religious is invoking God.
4: Well, but I think that's assuming a lot. I mean, I think we we can understand God in different ways. Okay, so not to put words in your mouth, sure. but what
2: you might be saying here in this conversation is that for religion to go forward and not be in conflict with science— It needs to embrace what science finds about the natural world and not jump in the face of the scientists and say, that conflicts with my interpretation of Scripture, therefore you must be wrong.
4: I agree. And I think most religious scientists, I'm not a religious scientist, would say that and would say, you know, this is helping. Yes, they would, by the way. Yes, yes. This is helping me understand. Yeah, this is helping me understand God's beautiful world. And I think what happens sometimes is, you know, religion gets caricatured. So obviously, if you're religious, you must not believe in evolution, which I think is a, you know, it's Most false. Well, it's certainly true for either. some. You're saying for it's not some. true for all. I'd say
2: for a few. When we come back, we're going to find out if you have to give up your religion to believe in evolution. Clearly, the good father here doesn't, but how about others
0: when star talk continues. <laughs>
2: So, one, one of the great questions out there is how do we get more religions or more people who are religious on board with the moving frontier of science? Recognizing that you don't have to give up your religion unless perhaps your religion requires that there was no evolution. If it requires it, maybe you got to sort of lose it, but—
3: That's probably pretty few religions, right? I would That's th- just... think so. Yeah.
4: I'm thinking, right? I mean— well, I, I hope so. Uh, but And okay. I, I, frankly, I, I have a confession to make, Priest. Yeah, make this is your second publicly. confession. I'm well, listening. I, I don't understand people who can't believe in evolution. I don't understand people who don't look at, uh, you know, the, the sort of uh, carbon dating and things like that and fossils. I can't understand it. And I have a hard time understanding why people cannot accept the fact that God can work through evolution, that it's just as much of a miracle of creation if it takes 10 million years or 15 million years as if it took seven days. So I don't understand that. All right, so how about this? Uh, as you may know, atheists as a community
2: are ranked last in who anyone would elect to high office. They'd last. Okay. After, you know, serial is, killers or something. Is, I mean, Is it because they're preachy? <laughs> <laughs> and so there's in some ways, a a, a bias, a discriminatory force in society against atheists. Have you thought of this? Let me lead with the clip. Sure. And then we'll get your reaction Mm -hmm. to it. Richard Dawkins in my office.
5: I think you're exaggerating the desire of the secular movement to uh, convert everybody to our point of view. We're not like missionaries knocking on the door and sort of saying, have you you found Jesus and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, Or have you not found Jesus? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yes. Have you lost Jesus yet? It it, it isn't really like that. It's it's rather more, um, we want to convert you, not to atheism, but to the view that atheists should should not be discriminated against. Uh, That that, that there should not be... That's a a, purer message there. It's a purer message, and and it's it's a very important one in the the United States where uh, where atheists can't get elected to Congress. You, You don't have to say... Yes, I'm converted, I'm now a born-again atheist, but you have to say um, I, 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 no, I no longer will discriminate against uh, somebody because of his lack of religion when I, when I vote, I will look at the, look at the record and, and vote on, on other grounds. Um, there's a, there are real problems with uh, young people coming out just like, like there was coming out as gay. With their parents, I mean, you get, you know, teenagers thrown out of the house Uh uh uh, because they've come out as an atheist. (laughs)
4: Well, I, I mean, so, I agree with him. I, atheists should not be discriminated against. And I should say, you know, in the old uh, saying, some of my best friends are atheists and agnostics. But I'd also say, you know, it's ironic, you know, he said he's not a missionary, <laughs> but he does have a mission. I mean, his mission, he's written all these books, and his mission is to convince people, uh, not only the validity of atheism, but that, you know, religious people are basically... Maybe he was thinking door-to-door missionaries. Yeah, 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 maybe yeah. but his mission, the, the thing that kind of uh, compels him and sends him out is to convince people that not only that atheism is, is correct... But also that religious people are basically idiots, you know. So when we're talking about discrimination, we have to be careful. There are places where people who are religious, you know, are seen as basically insane or idiots. So there's that too. Except you can't discriminate
2: unless you have the power to do so. True. This is a well-known fact. So you can't say that atheists are discriminating against anybody when atheists are not in charge of anything. Right, they but run I mean, some bars. <laughs> right,
4: right. I mean, I I'm not I'm not gonna claim discrimination, but you know, there have been places where I have been, you know, in social situations and, you know, public events where people assume, you know, that you're basically that I am basically an idiot or I don't believe in evolution, or I don't believe in science, or I'm small minded, or I'm homophobic, or I'm sexist, or whatever because I wear a collar or because I'm religious. So there is that kind of So they of, started the conversation with that bias against you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so I do experience that. So But then so would, you enlightened them. Right, and I think... I'm, and By the way, I'm against, that's
2: why I don't associate with any label other than that as a scientist. I don't even go there. I said, you're going to have to have the conversation with me. I agree. And then formulate
4: whatever the hell you want to call me after that. And that's why I think it's... Sorry, difficult I use for, whatever the hell. No, not Sorry. at all. Sorry. I think that's why it's difficult to say... <laughs> whatever you know. the heaven you want to call me after that. I agree, yes. and that's why I think it's difficult, or we shouldn't say religious people think this or religious people think that, because it is a label that is applied to people and often applied to make them seem uneducated, insane, or just idiots. And as, is, as if you have to check your brain at the door. So,
2: you ever wonder whether there'd ever be a scientific test for God? <laughs> we'll find out when Star Talk continues. Woo! 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 Star Talk. Woo! 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 The Hall of the Universe of the Rose Center for Earth and Space. I don't mean to boast, but I'm like buds with Bill Nye, the science guy, yeah. just, so, just so you know. And he's taken on this topic in a big way, recently published a book on evolution, and he actually debated at the director of a creationist museum where the entire premise is that there was no such thing as evolution. Let's check in on Bill Nye's weekly rant.
3: Can science and religion coexist? Well, sure. There are billions of deeply religious people all around the world who accept the laws of nature, as we discovered through the process of science. Most of the astronomy that we started with was developed in the Islamic world about a millennium ago. And the calendar that everybody uses all over the world was developed by Jesuit priests. Heck, the Vatican has its own astronomer, for crying out loud. But from time to time, you'll meet people who insist that the Earth is somehow 6 or 10,000 years old. Well, that's just not possible. When we look at rocks like this, we can find where radioactive elements have replaced non-radioactive elements that have the same chemistry, and we've determined that the Earth is about 4.54 billion years old, not 1,000 years old. About half of what we learn, we learn informally, in places like this, in museums. So I encourage you all to come to a museum like this one and listen to the rocks. (laughs) Bill Nye,
2: as always, telling it like it is. So here we go. We're featuring my interviews with Richard Dawkins, and we have to ask the question, if there is a designer, if there is a God, can you test for it? Because as a scientist, that's what we do. If you're going to make a claim, I want to test it. These are the methods and tools of our trade. And so, I brought up this issue with
5: Richard Dawkins, let's see where
2: where he goes with it.
5: There is a designer of the universe. That is a stupendous scientific fact. It's not something you can say, well, we only think about that on Sunday. It actually would affect your attitude to the expanding universe if you thought that there was an intelligence that set it all in motion. And th- we may differ a little bit about this because mm-hmm. you've been quite eloquent about the, uh, about the need to, to separate all that and to just simply not, not ask the question, but just do your science well. But don't you agree that astronomy would look, cosmology would look very different if you thought that the whole thing, the laws of physics had been planned in advance by an intelligence? Isn't that a, a gigantic scientific fact if it were true? I would ask. If we, if it were true, how would
2: we test for that? Or if we supposed it was true, how might we test for it? Yeah, so do, do you have any thoughts on that? Because it, it, here's, let me pose it a different way. If, in fact, the universe is the, the science fair project of a hyper-intelligent species...
3: That's pure energy.
2: Can, can we distinguish
4: between that entity... And what, in your theology, you would call God? I think the answer to that question is, I don't know. But I I often say this, with the greatest respect for Mr. Dawkins, Professor Dawkins, I really do hope um, that when he comes to the end of his life uh, and he meets, and I believe this, and he meets God, I hope he will be pleasantly surprised. I really do. He's been asked that question, and I can recite his answer. Not verbatim,
2: but uh, in principle. You know what his answer is? He would ask God back. Uh, why did you create a world that was so convincing of your
4: absence? Mm. How about because I wanted a little faith?
2: Ooh. ooh,
4: ooh yeah. They ooh. Okay, come back in. I, I, hope they, I hope Richard or, and or God about, do this for years. Or how about this? How about this? How about this? Why did you insist on believing in something that you had to understand? Why could you not believe in something mm. that was beyond you? Well, wow, this would be like a, like a tennis match up there. At, right. At, at the, and you at, know what? I think, God, I think God might win. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be, in all of these examples, there has to be what's called, I'm sure you know it, the first cause. I mean, it is illogical to think that these things suddenly started to happen. There has to be what Aristotle called the uncaused caused, you know? The, the thing that caused everything. And by that, we, we call God, right? I mean, that's the name that we give God. Although you remove that requirement for God himself. God is the uncaused cause, right? And so there has to be something that begins us. By the Matt, way, I, I, I mean, don't presume sense, that you, that's, everything
2: has to have a cause. That's just how the world has manifested thus far. But, but that's I don't, a,
4: that's a, isn't that a scientific sort of cause and effect? Isn't that one of the basis of science, cause it, and effect? It, it's gotten us very far. Yeah. But I don't... I, but I mean, when you do an experiment, don't you look at cause and effect? Yes, but what I'm
2: saying is, I don't then say the whole universe has to follow this rule. Right. I, I'm open enough to other possibilities okay. that maybe the universe always was. Right.
4: But see, I, in that case, is, am probably being more logical and scientific. I would say that the human mind, uh, as we understand it, presumes causes and effects. And at some point, you have to have this kind of uncaused cause because that doesn't make sense to have this infinite regress. And that, by that, I, I say that's God. When a, a quote that I've uttered that it's now I've seen on
2: T-shirts, uh, but I'm happy to repeat it here, is that uh, the universe... Is under no obligation to make sense to us.
4: Neither is God.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! <quite> <laughs> I think we've got to wrap it up there. Father Martin, thank you for being on Star Talk. It's been my pleasure. Excellent. Eugene, thank always great you. to have you as my co host. You've been watching Star Talk here in the whole of the universe of the Rose Center for Earth and Space in New York City. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, and as always, I bid you to keep